Hey, if you've got your Bibles, um, grab, grab them, turn to 1 John chapter 5. We're going to look at the first five verses this morning. I'm not doing all of a whole chapter like I did last week. Um, just five verses today. It's 1 John uh, chapter 5. We're looking at verses 1 through 5. As you're turning there, I want to uh, uh, share with you, um, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but one of the, in, in June 11th of 2004, one of the greatest movies ever made premiered. On June, write that date down, it's June 11th, 2004. And I want to share about one of the characters in this movie. He's a middle-aged uh, man that seems to live an extremely defeated life. Absolutely defeated. He co- constantly reminisces about his earlier days. And even strives at one point in the movie uh, to even go back in time, this feeble attempt to go back in time to rectify his defeat. In fact, he he gets on the internet and orders a device that would possibly take him back in time. And here's a quote from this character from that movie. He says this as he's sitting on the porch of his nephew's home. He says, I used to be able to throw a pigskin a quarter mile. I'm dead serious. As he sits on the porch of his nephew's house, he, he makes this claim. How much you want to uh, make a bet, I can throw a football over the, that mount, those mountains. If coach would have just put me in fourth quarter, we'd have been state champions, no doubt. No doubt in my mind. Quote now. He says, I believe things would have been different. I would have gone pro. I'd be making millions of dollars, living in a big old mansion somewhere, soaking it up in a hot tub with my soulmate. It's Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite. Now, you're probably wondering why in the world is our pastor quoting Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite? Well, first of all, it is one of the greatest movies ever made. But second of all, I want to make this point. I want you to think about when you think of if you've seen the movie, you haven't, you need to go home and watch it today. If you you have seen it, you know Uncle Rico. This guy's just beat up, lives this life that is in the past. I mean, it's just defeat, one thing after another, from getting oranges thrown at your van to trying to make some money selling Tupperware and all of these things. He lives this life of defeat. This, it's a life of, of living in this empty hope of what could have been, and in his mind, what should have been. And I think you would agree that Uncle Rico, living out of his van, lives an extremely sad life, doesn't he? He lives one, a life of defeat. But here's the thing. Quite often, there's a lot of people that live the same kind of life. They lived one of defeat. Great defeat. But I want you to know, Christian, if your faith is in Jesus, you are not to live a life of defeat. But so often, I see so often that Christians do that. It's not how we're supposed to live. It's not how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to live a life of victory. This is just what we've sang about. As I'm, I'm sitting here as we're singing these songs, I'm thinking everything that we have sung about is about how God has brought victory to us, in us, through us, and for us. Think about the words that we just sang. Over the three songs that we sang, well, three and kind of one of a mix of another one, right? So I would call it four. 
All of those about a victory of what God has done for us. And here's the thing, Christian. We, we should be shouting at the top of our lungs at those, such things. But so often, we live a life of defeat, beat down, metaphorically living out of a van, throwing footballs at a video camera, wishing things could be better. Hmm. Now, before you get too concerned, I think you, if you've been here long enough, you know me, this is not a health, wealth, and prosperity message at all. I'm not going to tell you how to live your best life now because I believe that's a joke for Christians. Our best life is yet to come in the eternal glory of God Almighty and the Son. See, if you're not a believer, this is your best life. It's the best you can hope for right now. Live it up. But my prayer is that you come to know true victory in Jesus. And I pray that you hear the truth of the Gospel this morning. As we look at our passage today, I want us to understand this because what John talks about and speaks of in our passage today is how do we as believers live a life of victory, of what the Bible tells us to be victorious, not of anything that we have done, but what Christ has done for us. Let's not be an Uncle Rico. Man, let's be warriors, fearless, because the victory is won. We do have to fight the battle, but the victory is sure and certain. You got your Bibles open? 1 John chapter 5, verses 1-5, through 5. you got them open? Can you say amen so I know? Alright, that's enough. We're going to get started. 1 John chapter 5, starting with verse 1. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father uh, loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Let's pray. Father in heaven, holy is Your name, Father. We praise You. We thank You that You are God that has made Yourself known to us. You are superior of all things. You're sovereign. You're merciful. You're just. You're loving. And You are worthy of every ounce of worship that we have. Just as my brother prayed this morning, we, it is a joy for us to bow our heads and, and kneel at Your throne, Father. For You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. For You rule over all things and You are all good. And Father, we, our hearts wander. They do wander. We buy into things that are not of You. And Father, we need Your help. We need Your Spirit to guide us back, to, to show us the goodness of Your love and Your grace and Your mercy. God, we need You to help us to worship You and see the joy and victory 
over the sin of this world and the brokenness of this world. So Father, this morning I ask that you, you help me, that you help us see the goodness of who you are, the glory of who you are. And Father, that we not walk around with our heads hung down, but we stand victorious, but not of anything that we have done, but what Christ has done in our place. So Father, make us bold and brave for your glory's sake. And may we find joy in that. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen. Throughout this little book, these five chapters of 1 John, this letter that John writes, he sets out marks for true believers. He says, hey, these are marks of true believers. And he's talked about a lot of those things, that we keep God's Word, that we love one another, and, and so forth. And he talks about these believers, those that have, have seen the authority of God, that they've realized their sin. They know that they have sinned and, and, and gone against a holy and righteous God. And what we, deserve, what we deserve is God's wrath. And we're helpless and hopeless apart from God. And we understand the calling of God for reconciliation through trust and hope and faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ through what He has done. And these believers, these that John writes this to, hopefully are, are those that have embraced this and now that, that are redeemed to live lives for the glory of God. And John lines out some marks of these evidences of redeemed people. And one of those is living victoriously. It's what we talk about today. So what is it to mean victorious? The victorious Christian life. What does that mean? Here's my simple definition of the victorious Christian life. It's a life that is lived by faith in a moment-by-moment -moment surrender to God. You want to live victoriously? It's a moment lived by faith. In a moment-by-moment moment, surrender to God. The victorious Christian life is it's rooted in faith in Jesus, what John tells us here. It's, listen to me, it's not what you can do, but what Christ has done. I'm going to beat that to death this morning. Because so often we can wander off and I've got to add something to it, or I've got to do this, or I've got to do that. Victory is won on the cross and in the empty tomb. That is where victory is won. And it is our victory for us. And we have to understand this. This is, this is something that we have to grasp and understand that Christ has done that. And there's great hope and joy in that. It's rooted in faith. In who Christ is. And what He's done. So how do we live it? It's difficult to do. It's difficult to do. You ever get worried? You ever get bothered? You ever get saddened? You ever just go, come Lord Jesus? Yeah. It's hard to do. Life happens. And the reason is, is this world is broken. The enemy doesn't want us to live victoriously. This world is the, the enemy's domain and so much of of this broken world does all that it can to crush, just absolutely crush our hopes and our joy. They want to keep us from living lives that are victorious. So the world defines victory differently than God does. This is what the, how the world defines victory in a lot of ways. Victory, the way the world says it, is financial success. I make enough money. 
Honestly, I don't know of anybody that's ever told me, oh, I make enough money. Enough is never enough. Or victory in this world is, is power. I have power and I have authority and people respect me. Well, when is enough enough? Or to live victoriously, you have this best life now. And let me tell you something, that's a lie that the evil one just wants us to believe is that we in and of ourselves can be enough. Live your best life now because you can be enough. You're enough. You're enough. You're enough. You're enough. Just follow your heart. You know what the Bible says about following your heart? It's dangerous to do that because the heart is evil. But, but so often the world says, you can be enough. That's a lie. That's a lie that the world wants, the evil one wants us to believe because here, let me be honest with you, can I love you for a moment? You're not enough. You are not enough. You can't be enough. The truth is, you weren't designed to be enough. That's why you can't be enough because you weren't designed to be enough. You were designed and created to find your fulfillment in your Creator. What John is saying here is that when we embrace the perfect love of God and we trust in Jesus and He is Lord of our lives, we have the freedom and ability to live as conquerors, to live victorious, not through our victory, but through God's victory. And here's the truth of this this victorious Christian life. It is one lived in triumph over the things of this world, not in the things of this world. Church, there's a big difference. There's a big difference of living, living as victorious in the things of this world. Because what that means, that's what the world wants you to see is, is you can have all of these things and you'll find hope and joy and happiness and fulfillment in the things of this world. That is not victory. What do you find there? You find absolute defeat in those things. What John is telling us here is the victorious life is one lived in triumph over the things of this world. The lust of the flesh, the pride, greed, and bondage of other sins. It is conquering a fear and knowing God's peace over all of those things. It is joyfully enduring hardship, persecution, difficulties, and fully trusting in God's sovereign work. That is how we live victorious. Not like Uncle Rico. I love... Jesus' half-little brother says this in James chapter 1, verses 2-4. through four. He says, count it all joy. Tell me if this sounds like the world. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Count it joy. Why? Why? How? This is the world. The question is the world. How? Because this is light and momentary. And we know that our King of Kings has overcome the world. That's what He's told us, right? I've overcome the world. 
Now, sounds really great, right? Sounds really great. Let's all go get the t-shirt, right? I'm living in victory. Sounds great, right? But how do, in theory, it sounds really good, but how do, we, how, do we practically, how do we practically live in victory? How do we, how do we live lives in this world that is, is doing everything it can to rob us of joy and hope and to drive us down into fear, to walk around with our heads hung down? How do we live lives as conquerors? Well, John gives us some insight, and there's three areas in here that I want to share that John talks about here, and they're very basic, but they are so good. So here's number one. This is what John says. If you want to live victoriously, we live in light of the Gospel. Live in light of the Gospel. I want you to look at verse 1 and verse 4, because I'm going to kind of piece this together. You guys know John talks in circles, right? All the time. He does certainly in five verses here. He talks in circles. He says, everyone who believes, in, uh, believes that Jesus Christ has been born of God and everyone who loves the Father, who uh, uh, loves whoever has been born of Him. So everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, right? Now look at verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And he says that this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Trusting in the gospel. Living in light of the gospel. Living and remembering the gospel. What Christ has done. I want you to know the greatest limitation to freedom and victory that every person on the face of the earth that has ever walked the face of the earth or ever will other than Jesus Himself, the greatest limitation to their freedom is this one thing right here. It's a three-letter word. It's called sin. Every person lives underneath the wrath of sin, this bondage of sin. Sin oppresses and it defeats us. And time and time again, it oppresses and defeats. John, John 8, 34, Jesus says this, Jesus anthem, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. It's not freedom. This is what sin does. And the truth is, we're hopeless and helpless in, in and of ourselves to be free from it. It is called our depravity, our sinful nature. It affects every aspect of who we are, how we think, how we operate, every part of our lives. We're not as bad as we could be, right? It's not what depravity means. What it means is that it affects every part of our lives. And we need redeeming from that. This is where the gospel comes into place. We cannot win over sin that separates us from God by ourselves. Sin, sin is powerful and it destroys. This is what sin does. I want you to think about this because so often we make so little, so light of our sin. I want you to think about your sin. And just think about your sin. This is what sin does. It destroys. It destroys relationships. It destroys right thinking, right operating methods. It corrupts. It tears down, it oppresses, and eventually it causes death. This is what sin does. But Jesus, Jesus, Jesus brings victory and freedom over those things. Jesus does. When you read this book, this is what it's about. This book tells us that Jesus brings victory over those things. And He does it through the cross. And He does it through His resurrection. He has come and He lived the life that we never could. You hear me say this all the time. 
Jesus has lived a life that we never could. Perfect. Without sin. And He took on the wrath of God on the cross that we deserve. And He overcame the grave that we never could in and of ourselves. Jesus does this for us. He does this for us. He does it for all of those that put their faith in Him. You did nothing. Jesus did everything. Jesus does everything. Now I want you to understand something. Something we have to understand is that all God does is victorious. So often people will look at the cross and go, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that happened. What a horrible thing that happened. Yes, absolutely. The cross is horrible. The things that happened to Jesus prior to the cross, horrific. Awful. The beating, the scourging, the pulling of His beard and His hair out, the crown of thorns upon His head. Flesh ripped from His back and in front of Him. Stripped naked and mocked. Put upon a tree in front of the dump to die in the heat, a long, agonizing death. Spikes nailed through His wrists and His feet. Spit upon and laughed and mocked at. Horrific. Awful. But it was victory. It was victory. It was a win for God. As we talked about just last week, you go back to Isaiah 53, as the will of the Lord to crush Him. And you see with it, it's the end of that. Isaiah 53, it says where God the Father sets the Son as victorious over all of that because what that was was a victory over sin and death. It's a victory. All that God does is, is victory. In John 15, Jesus tells us a parable that, that gives us a key to the, the victories of the Christian life. Jesus, he says that Jesus is the vine. The source of life and wholeness. And he says that believers are the branches utterly dependent upon the vine. I want you to think about that. A branch can't survive without the vine. And he says that we can be victorious because we're connected to the vine. And the word used over and over throughout this passage is most often translated as abide. We've talked about that a lot in 1 John. Abide. And what it means is to remain or be with, alongside. The original Greek word really means stay where you are. Where is the Christian? Where is the Christian? The Christian is in Christ. In Christ. He has overcome. This is our hope. This is why when the world is falling apart around us, and everybody else is freaking out. The Christian goes, okay. I know how it all ends. And I have hope in the One that has overcome all things. And He has promised me that there is victory in the end. When our political climate and our country seems as though it's falling apart and things around the world seems they're falling apart and you go, I can't believe it. Things get, can things get any worse? Yes, they can get worse. But I promise you, what God's Word tells us, there is victory 
And we can stand in hope and joy when everything else is falling apart. Because of the Gospel. Ephesians 2.13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We brought near this abide, this holding fast, coming alongside. Been brought near. We were far off and brought near. Christian, Christ has won the victory on our behalf. You have freedom over sin and death. Victory over sin and death and anything that this world can throw at us. The question is, why don't we act like it? Honestly. Honestly. Why don't we act victorious for what Christ has done? Anybody ever heard me talk about Romans 8.1? One person. One of my favorite passages in all the Bible. Romans 8. I'm going to read the first four verses of this. I want you to just highlight. I'm going to give you a moment. I'm going to just turn there. Because I want you to highlight this in, in your Bible. At least Romans 8.1. You need to circle it, highlight it, put a bookmark there. And when you feel, feel downtrodden or beat up or whatever, go to Romans 8.1. Go to Romans 8.1. This is what it says. Romans 8.1-4 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Did you hear that, Christian? You are free. You're free from the bondage of sin and free from the eternal death. You're free from that because what Christ has done. He says, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That is victory, Christian. That is victory for us. It is victory when the world says everything is evil and broken. You look at it and go, yeah, it sure is. But Jesus is bigger and better and more powerful. and He has overcome those things. And my hope and my faith is in Him. We should live victorious in those things. And here's the thing. I want you to know this. When the world seems to fall apart around you, remember, what, remember this. I want you to know this. This, this puts things into perspective and helps us to live this victorious life. When you see the brokenness of this world, have it as a reminder of what you do deserve because of your sin. Let me say that again. When you look around and you go, man, this world is really messed up. Allow that to be a reminder of what you deserve. Beginning of what you deserve. But hear this, Christian. But let the Gospel be a reminder of who we are in Christ because of what He has done. In other words, the Gospel reminds us of what we get because of Christ. The broken world is a reminder of what we deserve. The cross is a reminder of who we are and what we get because of Christ. 
If you keep reading in Romans chapter 8, verses 37 through 39, he says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, listen to this, listen to this. You can even bookmark this one. This was a really good one too. When things are falling apart, go to this verse here. Just go read Romans 8. It's a, one of the greatest chapters of all in the Bible. If I had one chapter and one book of all the Bible, it would be Romans 8 because it is absolutely beautiful for us to glean so much good stuff. But listen to this. He says, For I am sure, Paul says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Did he leave anything out, church? I didn't hear you. Did he leave anything out? No. Listen to what he says. Nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That deserves an amen. That is good stuff. That is good stuff. See, when we remember and live in light of the gospel, we can live victorious because of what Jesus has done for us. Here's number two. John says this. You want to live victorious? Here's another practical application. Number one is remember the gospel. Live in the gospel. Go back to the gospel. I'm saved. I'm Christ. He's overcome the world. Remember that. Go back to that. Romans 8, 1. Romans 8, Romans 8, Romans 8. Just go to that. Okay? Now, here's number two. Love God and love others. I want you to look at the second half of verse 1. <clears throat> and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. We're going to love God and love others. This is another indicator of how we can strive to live victorious. He says, everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. This is simple. Really simple. You want to live in victory? Strive to love God and love others. Sounds easy, right? Greatest commandment, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, body, spirit, all of those things, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? It's repeated over and over. First John, John talks about this over and over and over again. I wonder why he has to repeat himself. You ever have to repeat yourself to your kids? Why is that? They don't listen, do they? Christians, we're like that quite often too. It has to be repeated over and over and over again. For instance, we got, hey, did you hear me? Did you hear me? Did you hear me? God is saying, hey, love me and love other people. But the world tells us something different. The world tells us, hey, love yourself first. Me first. This me first mentality is also contrary to living a life that God calls us to live. In fact, it is contrary to the gospel. The gospel is a message of love that is not selfish or prideful or, or self-seeking. Read 1 Corinthians. It talks about that. And when we apply the gospel to the way that we see others, it should change how we operate towards God and others. Let me say that again. When we take the gospel and we remember the gospel, what Christ has done for us, and we apply it to every aspect of our lives, so to our marriage, to our relationship with our kids, to the way that we work, to the way that we operate in our community, we look at our neighbors, to look at our governing officials, and we apply the gospel to those things, the way that Jesus loves us, the way that God has sacrificially loved us, and we lay that over how we relate to other people, it changes us. It should change how we operate towards God and others. Now, let's talk about the love for God for just a moment. A lot of people, professing Christians, 
or people that, that claim to know God have a so-called love for God that is, this, is, this is kind of the way it goes. I'll love God as long as He answers my prayers the way I want Him to. Now, nobody would ever say that. But a lot of people operate that way. Because they'll pray, God, I need this, or I want this, or I need you to do this, and God doesn't answer, and they have no love for God because He didn't do what they wanted. Let me tell you something. God is not, God is not a genie in a bottle. <clears throat> the God of the Bible is not a genie that grants wishes. He is a sovereign one that has all authority. But He's also a God of love that deeply cares for us. He loves His kids and is always for those that He calls His own. Now I want you to know this. We're not to love God because He gives us what we want. Because that's God of self. We're to love God because He gives us Himself. I want you to think about that for just a moment. We are to love God because He has given of Himself. That's the greatest gift we could ever have. All of Himself. He's a loving Father that provides for us. He cares for us. He disciplines us. He redeems us. He guides us. He encourages us. He rebukes us. And again, and all the things, all the things that God does is good for us. Again, Romans 8. I tell you, go read Romans 8 this week. Just read Romans 8. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that for those who love God, there's, there's criteria here. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. It's good. It's good. It's love God. And then we are to love others. Love for others is a big deal to John. It's a big deal. We are to love other people. He's talked a lot about it and and maybe that's because it is a big deal and we need to really, really be about it. Now, I want you to understand something here. Our text says, I was asked this question in life group. It's a great question. Our text says that we are to, to have love for our brothers and our sisters in Christ. And I was asked this week, does this just mean that we are to love our fellow believers? And here's, here's where I, how I answer that question. I, th I think that there's certainly a, a, a different kind of relationship that we have that Christians celebrate and that we engage in. And we certainly are to love one another, Christians, a little bit differently. But I don't think John has the intent of don't love other people. And this is how I answered that question. They said, they asked, hey, when John says this, are we just to, to love other Christians? Is that just all that he's talking about? And here's how I answer that question. I go, here's the way I look at it. This is a safe way for me to be. Man, I'm going to love all people as well as I can because I don't know if they are a Christian or not. Here's the thing. My thing is, I don't know if they will be a Christian. And my hope is that they will, that they would come to faith and trust in Jesus. And I'm going to love them like that. And here's the thing. I don't think you can go wrong with that. And I certainly think there is a different kind of relationship that Christians uh, have. But I would say it's, it's safe to love. It's a safe bet to love potential future believers. Because we don't know who God will save. And our hope is that the people we know do come to faith. And they do be our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we've already got a jump start on loving them the way that God calls us to love them. That work? Sound good? Let's do that. 
Love them with that hope in mind. But here is the benefit of loving God and loving others that leads to living victoriously. See, when we focus on loving God with all that we are and loving our neighbors as ourselves, here's, here's the benefit of this. We take the focus off of us. I take the focus off of me. And it helps us combat our pride and, and our selfishness as the root of sin. And I want you to understand this too, that, that, that at the very root of every sin that we have is pride. When you think about it. At the root of every sin that we have, why do we lust? Because I want something that I shouldn't have. Why do we steal? Because I want something I shouldn't have. Why do I covet? Because I don't like that person and I want what they have. You think about that. Why do we disrespect our parents? Because I want to be the boss. When we look at others and put our focus on God and others, it takes the spotlight off of us and we begin to focus on others. I'm going to put Mark on the spot for just a second. He probably doesn't realize, well, he doesn't know this, but a few months ago, Mark and I had a really cool conversation. And we're just kind of encouraging. I said some things that encouraged him. He did some, some, said some things that really encouraged me in, as well. And this is what he told me, and I found it very interesting. I never forgot what he said. He said, you know, oftentimes when I feel the most discouraged, I find myself I'm not encouraging others. And I go, whew, that'll stick right there. Those are good words. It's just loving other people. Loving other people that way, and it's good for us. This is what Jesus does. When we focus on loving God and lo loving others, that is gospel living in victory. And people look at you and go, why are you doing this? Because, because Jesus did this for me. It's, a, it's just an avenue into the gospel. Here's number three. Number three. I've got I to move quickly. Number three is obedience to the Word. Look at verses two and three. By this we know that, uh, that we know the love, of the, the love, the children of God, when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Underline that part right there. His commandments are not burdensome. In fact, they're good for us. We're to live victoriously. What John's saying is we're to live victoriously. We have to live by God's Word. And I think this is probably one of the biggest avenues or, or difficulties that so many people have of, of living a defeated life. They're just not living the way God tells them to. They're living in defeat. He says His Word is not burdensome, but it brings freedom and victory over sin. This is where where so many people get it wrong. So many people claim that Christianity is this restrictive uh, religion. It does not bring freedom. However, when we go against God's Word, that's where we find absolute defeat. You can see it everywhere. In our culture today, when people live against God's Word, what they, they think of, of I'm just going to be free, they find themselves in more and more bondage. And when we do the things God says don't do, we find ourselves hurt, and in pain, and in sorrow, and under heavy burden. We see this in our world every day with sinful nature and lifestyles. You look at it. When God says, hey, don't do this, there's a reason why He says, hey, don't live that way. Because it will hurt you. Live this way. It is good for you. You'll be healthy and live in victory. When we see God's Word and go, hey, be obedient to God's Word. 
But so often, we are not obedient to God's Word. So often, so many people, they'll cherry-pick a little fuzzy verse out of there and they'll put it on their refrigerator or on their coffee cup or something like that and complete, oftentimes completely taken out of context. What they need to be doing is reading this whole book and applying this whole book to their lives. See, the world says you decide what is good and right for you. In essence, what the world says, you be the God of your life. And how well does that work out? It doesn't work out very good. Do you know why? You make a horrible God. And I make a horrible God. But when we obey God's Word, and we trust in Him, we find victory. We see God's perfect nature and His perfect plan for us when we see and savor Him in His Word. He is a loving God that gives us direction for His glory and our good. Let me say that again. He's a loving God that gives us direction for His glory and our good. And when we try to live life by our terms, we never find peace. It's only strife. But when we strive to live by God's Word, we do find fulfillment, purpose, joy, hope, and absolute victory. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Listen to what He says. Come to Me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Anybody felt that way before? Just weary? Got all this junk going on? The world says do this? And Jesus says, hey, come to Me and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, not from the world. Learn from me, for I am gentle, not like the world. I am gentle and I am lowly in heart, not like the world. And he says, in me you will find rest for your souls. Because in the world you will not find rest for your soul. In Christ you find rest for your soul. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, unlike the world. He says this because the burden of sin through poor choices, of giving in to our fleshly desires are heavy and they weigh us down and they hold us in. But when we are obedient to God's Word, we win. We win. And that burden is light. Trust in God's Word. Know God's Word. Find ways to discern things in God's Word. God's Word is not restrictive, but it's meant to be for freedom and victory in this life and for all eternity. That's what James says in James 4.7, Submit yourselves therefore to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. We love that verse, right? What part do you normally remember? Resist the devil and he will flee from you, right? Anybody commit that one to memory? Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Resist the devil and he'll flee. You ever pray that over and over again? I don't think you can do that without the first part of that verse. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. You want to defeat the devil? Submit to God. Submit to God in His Word. This is what he's talking about here. You can't defeat the devil on your own. He's not going to run from you. He's not scared of you. You can't defeat him. 
God has. Past tense. Forthcoming. You want to defeat the devil, you submit yourselves to the Lord. So often the reason so many live lives defeated is they bind to something other than God's Word. Man, if we just live by it, things would be so good. Our nation would be good. Our country, our world would be so good. But again, this is just a reminder. A reminder that, that this is not our home. When we live by God's Word, it is good and right and victorious. The smartest man that ever lived, King Solomon, said this in Ecclesiastes towards the end. I encourage you to read Ecclesiastes too. It's really, really good. After all of his writing and experiencing and trying to find happiness and joy and fulfillment in all the things of the world and nothing was out of his reach, he says this at the end of the book. He says, the end of the matter, all has been heard, fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. We've talked about a lot this morning and I just have three questions for you. Christian, and non-Christian alike, if you came here today and your faith is not in Jesus, my hope and prayer is that you, you find victory in Christ today, now, now. Put your hope and faith in Jesus. So here's my three questions. And for the Christian too, remember this. When you feel defeated, do you remember the Gospel? When the world seems like junk, and all things are falling apart, find victory in the Gospel. Here's number two. When you feel defeated, are you striving to love God and love others? Like Mark said, are you, when you feel discouraged, when was the last time you encouraged someone else? Loving God and loving others. And here's number three. When you feel defeated, are you seeking to find joy and victory and obedience to God and His Word? Maybe you're doing something wrong that's bringing all that pain and strife that is against God's Word. Maybe that could be it. Maybe it's sin. Maybe you need to repent and turn from that sin. And you need God's help to do that. My prayer is that we find victory in Jesus. I almost asked Mark to sing that old hymn. Victory in Jesus. I won't sing it for you. I promise. My Savior forever. It's a beautiful hymn. and so true. And this is what John talks about here. Are we living in light of that? Christian, my challenge for you is to, is to stand bold in all the things that are going on in our world. Stand bold. Stand bold because we have a hope that this world cannot crush Cannot take away. Nothing. Remember that passage we read? Neither height nor depth. Nothing can take that away. Act like it, Christian. And be a difference in our world and love God and love other people and let other people see that. And trust God in His Word. Trust Him in His world. We should look different than our world. 
And we should look victorious. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray. I pray that you have been honored and glorified this morning, Father. I pray that you, you are, are pleased in our worship this morning, Father. I pray that, that, that your spirit has just worked this morning, Father. I pray that all those that have walked in here just felt beat down. They have experienced the goodness of who you are. And Father, my prayer is that you encourage them as they leave here. Father, our hearts are prone to wander, and we need your help to bring that back. So, Father, help us to do that. Help us to be who you've called us to be. Help us to remember the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that we are redeemed when our hope and our faith is in that. And, Father, my prayer is for those that are here this morning that have not put their hope and faith in that. Lord, that you convict them today, that you call them today, and that they put their faith and hope in you. God, please, I I plead with you that you would work today, that you would save, that you would reign victorious over those lives today, Father. And Father, for us that have put our hope and our faith in you, God, encourage us, lift our spirits, allow us to rejoice in who you are. Over and over again, your word tells us to rejoice, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord. Father, help us to lift our voices in rejoicing in who you are because the victory is guaranteed and Father we love you and we thank you and we praise you and it's in Jesus name that we pray Amen